Minority Retort on X-Ray FM. X-Ray FM. Jason Lamb. All right, it's Friday morning on X-Ray in the morning. The means it's time for Minority Retort. My name is Jason Lamb. I'm the co-host and co-producer of Minority Retort, the comedy show, which you can see at the Siren Theater. It's an all-people-of-color comedy show. It's hosted by myself, Julia Ramos, and a now rotating cast of comedic POC characters. And speaking of POC comedic characters, we have a very special guest here in the studio, Who's going to be on Minority Retort tonight, in fact, at the Siren Theater. And she's won just about every award there is in comedy to win. (laughs) I love that in the Portland Mercury article uh, that was uh, written about my guest today uh, earlier this week. Uh, Welcome to the show. Thank you. Daya Lakshminarianan. Yes, I'm giving you a high five for our listeners out there. That was awesome. You did a great job. Thank you. I'm impressed with your language skills. You didn't say it was right, though. Oh, okay. So in India, people say it as Lakshmi Narayanan. But the closest approximation, because, you know, English doesn't have some of those, in the, it's Lakshmi Narayanan. So you did it right for the immigration version. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's really the right way in English. Okay. Like, unless you go, you know, and learn a foreign language and then put all that accoutrements on it, then you pretty much got it right. How many letters is that? 16. That's your big boy. <laughs> you mean like Sinbad sidekick? That's my big boy. <laughs> my last name is my own sidekick. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. I am happy to be here. Appreciate it. Um... So, as I mentioned, you're, you're going to be on our show tonight. Excited. And, uh, yeah. Super excited. Everyone who has done your show says amazing things about it. Corinda Dobbins, Marcella posted about it. Like, every woman of color, every person of color, everyone is like, this is amazing. This well, is fantastic. We're, we're very excited to have you. Um, I want to start by talking about um, something fun, at least I think. Um, I want to talk about your folks. Yeah. Uh, and I've seen you posting on social media recently. Did, did you visit them recently? I did. They live in a 55-plus community in San Diego. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, they seem like they're fun. <laughs> they, they are. Um, so they recently went to a new doctor, and the doctor opened their files and said, oh, the previous doctor said, you're a crazy, joyful couple. And instead of being like, why would someone write that in our files? They were like, yeah. <laughs> they, they just own it. They, they, that, they like that branding, that they're joyful and crazy. And I mean, like most parents, they're, they're, they drive me nuts. But also they're, they provide a lot of entertainment and laughter. And they're, they're cool. I like, I like spending time with them. Yeah, when I was reading some of your posts, it, it seemed like I felt like I wanted to see like a sitcom with you, with you guys. <laughs> oh, you keep, know? keep saying that, and then it will happen. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, it, it's it, they're very funny because they've been in the United States for a long time. They've lived in some major cities like Chicago, and then they've lived in some uh, difficult cities like Birmingham, Alabama. So they wow. have, yeah, they have this kind of wealth of experience of knowing what the American. Uh, experience the American dream is all about, and they 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 see it very clearly. Uh, you know, living in Chicago, they lived in subsidized housing. 
because they were recent immigrants. And so they had all these interesting friends from the Caribbean. They had, uh, you know, Latinx friends. They had fellow Indian friends. They, they had black friends. They, it was a really great community. And then they moved to Birmingham, where it was still very segregated, even though legally it's not segregated. It's still, by culture, segregated. And they're like, what what is going on? So uh, they see the world very clearly, and they still have a sense of humor about it. And, uh, and you know, by... By all purposes, they want still those things that they came to the United States for, the American dream from myself, but then they're also like, well, we know what's up. So they're they're great to spend time with because they have a lot of uh, knowledge and they see things and they, they have a good sense of humor. Does a lot of your humor and, uh, and interest in comedy come from them? Um, it's It comes from, like most comics, like uh, growing up and seeing the world uh, through a filter where you're like, does anyone else have this filter? Does anyone else uh, go to Big Lots and ask for an additional 20% off? Uh, I guess not. <laughs> Only my family. I mean, just like things like, you know, cost savings, obsession with food. Uh, you know, these are all things that may come out in my act. But also, um, my dad is pretty... Um, militant for someone who is kind of a, a small, thin immigrant man. So some of the political aspects of my comedy are informed by him. And then some of the like, uh, let's be let's be happy and let's do characters and let's make fun of others in a loving way. That's from my mom. Hmm. But where, where did you grow up in? You mentioned uh, Chicago and then Birmingham, but where, where did you... Yeah, so my parents moved from Chicago to Buffalo, New York. Okay. And my mother always reminds me. She's like, well, you were made in Chicago. I was like, this is a lot of information. I don't <laughs> I don't need to know this part. It, and it wasn't even like IVF or anything. It was like, oh, no, we, we, we did this. So, uh, so I was born in Buffalo, and then we moved to Cleveland, Ohio, which is another okay. place that's, you know, at the time we lived there... It, pretty reasonably segregated, although some some places are more integrated now. And then we moved to Birmingham, which was a huge culture shock. And then they moved from Alabama to Georgia, which I say is like Alabama 2.0 because it's like, you know, ramped up a little bit. So we moved to outside of Atlanta. And then I went off to college in Massachusetts, and then I moved to California. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, as I mentioned, I mean, you're, you've you won all kinds of awards doing comedy. You, how long have you been doing comedy, actually? Um, about a decade. Yeah, I took some time off in between, but yeah, that's that that take that. It's a long time, nine, ten years. Recently uh, voted one of the the Bay's was the top ten uh, top ten best. You know, it, they, it was an interesting number. I think it was like thirteen or something, and mm-hmm. uh, they didn't put numbers because it's the Bay. Like they're like we this is. We don't believe in the hierarchical nature of numbers. So it was an un- <laughs> it was an unnumbered list. It wasn't even top ten. It was top thirteen, and then I was uh, like four on the list. But uh, you know, they didn't say I was number three or four. They just were like, we we'd like for people to interpret it the way that they feel a connection to this list or whatever. So yeah, I was in the top somewhere in the bay. Um, and that's a that's but that's a great honor though. I mean, because a lot of great comedy comes out of the Bay. And, yeah, and Kamal was on the list. Uh, Marga Gomez was on the list. Some some people who have been nationally internationally known. So I'm really excited to be on that list. And you performed here uh, in the past at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, and and uh, 
and other uh, shows. Um, but you've also done storytelling, yeah, uh, for the Moth and and other uh, other venues. Um, and I wanted to ask you, what is your approach to comedy versus storytelling? And do you have a preference, or is it just kind of different in your mind? Do you, do you do you approach them different? Do you like them both the same, or how, how do you approach? Um, both those two formats. I started as a stand-up, so I will always love stand-up the most because it's uh, you can you can go to any city and get on stage and do stand-up. Uh, like uh, you know, a year and a half ago, I was in Shanghai and I landed, and then I was you know I arranged this in advance, but I walked over to the comedy club, and there's no you know Google in China, so I had to print out a map before I left the United States, and I walked over to the comedy club. I did a set. And then I was in Malaysia and in Singapore, and I did sets there, too. So stand-up is sort of known around the world. It's just something you can do. There's, like, comedy clubs in Thailand and Indonesia. So it's this phenomenon that, you know, people uh, can connect to no matter what. Like in Malaysia, for example, this comedy club I did, they're really... uh, they tell the audience, you know, make sure you turn off your phones, no recording. Then they're like, the the government controls all of our media, but here we don't control what these comics say. So it's extremely liberating to do stand-up all across the world, and your stand-up will translate just as long as you talk about things that are universal but specific to you. I like storytelling because my stand-up, when I first started, was informed by telling stories, telling stories about living in Birmingham, telling stories about being a nerd, telling stories about, you know, the immigrant experience or telling stories about seeing what's happening in the world. And um, and so I'd never been like set up, you know, punch, set up, punch, you know, just one liner, although I, I admire that kind of humor. Uh, so that was informing my stand up. And then I was like, wow, storytelling is really taking off. And I host The Moth in San Francisco, but also there's a great program called Snap Judgment that's um, based in Oakland, and Glenn Washington uh, runs Snap Judgment, and Glenn has invited me on their podcast radio show and also their live shows as well, and it's about people from different backgrounds. I think Ira Glass said something like, uh, Snap Judgment is like this American life if it grew up in a vastly different neighborhood. <laughs> so, and Glenn has hired like people of color. He's hired women. So he really wanted the staff to be diverse. So the stories that Snap Judgment gets are very different than what you typically think of as storytelling. Okay. Because people of color, immigrants, we've all been doing storytelling for, you know, generations. And so this is not a new thing for us. It's just that we are not often included in things that are labeled storytelling. So Glenn does a great job doing that. The Moth, um, I host in San Francisco. The host in the Boston area is Bethany Van Delft. There's like different kind of diverse hosts. So I really like that storytelling is incorporating lots of different kinds of people. And that's a chance for me to talk about in longer form what's happening in my life or what's happening in the world or experiences I'm having. And one really informs the other. My stand-up has stories in it, and my stories have jokes in it. So, obviously, as a comedian, you are looking for the laughter as a response. Uh, as a storyteller, have you ever made anybody cry? Uh, people say that I did. I told a story about my grandmother, and my grandmother lived with us in Cleveland, but also in Birmingham, and 
She didn't speak much English. Uh, her education was, I think, up till seventh grade or something. And so she wasn't, you know, uh, very well educated, but super, super duper smart. Um, she took care of me and my brother while my mom was getting her degree. So she would like be going to school. And so one of the things about my grandmother that my, my mom didn't really prepare us for, she had uh, mental illness. And so she, I mean, because she didn't speak English, you can't just take a, an immigrant older lady to a therapist and be like, yeah, talk to them, you know, because <laughs> she's like, well, no one speaks my language. And I, you know, I, so she was the coolest person in that, like, she had such a great sense of humor, like the Jehovah's Witness would come to our door and we'd make her answer the door and she would like talk to them in broken English for like an hour like my God your God same God and they'd be like oh, this lady is driving us nuts and they'd, they'd just run away never came back to our house and for oh my God that's, <laughs> that's hilarious I'm sorry yeah no no you can laugh because we would laugh at her we'd be like you're not supposed to do this and she's like really I'm just being friendly I was like keep doing it. and then for Halloween like we you know we left her candy to give out she ran out so then she'd invite the kids in and try to make them, like, masala tea with, like, cookies and stuff. I'm like, you can't invite kids in and serve them tea and cookies. And she's like, but hospital. So she had um, mental illness in that she, like, talked out loud. She saw things that weren't there. She was undiagnosed. But the way that she treated us was with nothing but love. So I told a story about her, and I really challenged myself to not just tell the funny parts of our interactions like my parents didn't let me watch a lot of you know tv but like i would watch music videos and my grandmother would be like who are these men are they from the jungle because they had like wild hair and they were jumping around she just thought they'd grown up without good parents which which is probably true but uh, <laughs> but uh but she just let me do whatever and she would braid my hair uh she would make me these great meals but when i got older i was like she just didn't have therapy she didn't have medication and then she finally got medication and you know it helped but she suffered so much because there's a gap for people of color and immigrants um, who don't who are not able to access things like mental health care so I told a story about that and there were a lot of uh, people who are you know my generation younger and they were like your story made me cry mm. And I didn't set out to do that. I just wanted to be truthful and just be like, don't just rely on the funny parts. Talk about things like when I was a kid, I carried a lot of shame because I'm like, my grandmother's just like talking to the sky and neighbors are asking about it. And I would just invent lies like, oh, we have a lot of gods. So she has to pray to all of them and she has to do it in increments. And I was like, how did I know what increment was as a kid? But I would like <laughs> cover for her, you know, and, and I was like, I didn't have the words to be just like, you know, she's in pain she's hurting and this is her way so I carried shame I lied about it I invented stories about it but in retrospect I just love her for everything she went through and how she cared for me and my brother when my mom really needed her because she was going back to school you almost made me cry just now oh, <laughs> not, not intentional well it doesn't take much also <laughs> by the way the truth um, and you're also the, uh, the subject of a documentary that uh, uh, I'm not sure folks might may or may not be aware of, but I wonder if you could tell uh, folks who may not be aware uh, about it. Yeah, so part of what I've always said about myself is, you know, like when I got into stand-up, I never thought like, oh, I need, I need to have this like specific cool look. I need to like 
wear, wear these things or be a certain way. I uh, Part of my branding has always been like embrace, always been like embracing of the fact that I'm nerdy. And I don't say it like nerdy, like lightweight nerdy, like hardcore, you know, uh, I like math. I like science. Uh, uh, people ask me to help them with, you know, nerdy subjects all the time. And I embrace that because also like, you know, being a woman in our society, you know, there was a time where there was a Barbie that was like, you pressed a button, it said, math is hard. So there, it's not really cool for women to be like, I like science and technology and math, and I like being nerdy because it's considered asexual or unattractive. So someone made a documentary about me, and the title is Nerd Cool, and it was about how just by being nerdy, I really invite other people to embrace their nerdy side rather than like stunting on people and being like, I'm smarter than you, which is the bad part of nerds. Like, I hate that. Like, the Silicon Valley nerds are like, well, you don't understand that, that you know, you have to do this this way. It's not about that. It's about bringing people into your nerdiness and, um, and allowing other people to see what they're nerdy about. And um, a lot of people are like, I never liked science because I didn't have a good teacher or my teacher didn't pay attention to me. I'm like, it's not too late. My mom studied Sanskrit and Tamil, like useless subjects. And then she went back to school and now she's a software engineer. And so she really kind of tried to be nerdy herself. So it's never too late to be nerdy and to kind of explore these subjects. Last question for you. And um, I, I don't want to end on a down note, but um, you know, I, I woke up on the couch this morning and, uh, and turned on CNN mm. and, and, and saw the news uh, uh, about the the uh, the shooting in, in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, folks, if you were just waking up now, uh, um, horrible tragedy that happened uh, in New Zealand this morning. Uh, Forty nine people shot to death um, in uh, in two two mosques. Um, and I just wanted to crawl into a hole and, and pull mm. the hole in on myself uh, when Ooh, I saw that news yeah. and just just horrible reminder of what world we live in unfortunately and I I was thinking about coming in and talking to you today and uh, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked you Doye Travis who was here uh, a mm -hmm. few months ago um, in a world that we live in now and and we've always lived in to be mm -hmm, honest mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how can you be funny yeah uh, I I mean, like so obviously this tragedy this morning um it's not possible to make this funny because you know my comedian colleagues are all probably uh you know hurt in some way and you know violence is is all around us so one thing that sometimes people look for when they come to a comedy club is they they're not running away from the realities of the world they just want some kind of relief just like, you know, if you're an athlete, you go for some kind of massage or some kind of like stretching. So I think comedians really serve a purpose in that um, we really want to allow people to come to a place and make them laugh, even if it's not about this tragic subject. So right after the election, I didn't want to go on stage at all. I was like, I don't feel funny. I'm not funny. I can't make anything funny about this. And so, you know, you're, you're professional. You force yourself to go up. I did well. And afterwards, a unique thing happened. People usually say, you're really funny. I liked your jokes. Where can I find you? But this was different in that people said, thank you so much. I really needed that. And so that's when uh, it's important to be like, you're providing a service 
So don't forget that. It's not just about you. You're giving something to others so they can go on with their life. So you kind of have to be funny because that's your job. Well, your job, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say, is, yeah. is to be very funny tonight Yes, on Minority Retort at the Siren Theater at 8 p.m. I really appreciate you doing that show, and I appreciate you coming here this morning and talking to me today. Uh, Daya Lakshminari again. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me, Jason. This was a lot of fun.